Independent Business Podcast is brought to you by HoneyBook, the all-in-one platform for anyone with clients. Book clients, manage projects, and get paid faster all with HoneyBook. You can use the code podcast to get 20% off your brand new account and let business flow your way. of people don't feel as though they're living into their fullest potential. Are you one of them? Or are you one of the 4% that truly believes they are at max capacity of everything they are capable of? Today, we are digging into precisely that. I have the opportunity to sit down with New York Times bestselling author of eight books, including Soundtracks, one of my favorites, and his newest book, All It Takes is a Goal the one and only John Acuff. John talks with us today about goal setting, about living into your potential, and about the roadblocks that often keep us from our greatest success. This episode is packed with information that every independent business owner needs to know, and more importantly, needs to implement. Hey everyone, this is your host, Natalie Frank, and you're listening to the Independent Business Podcast. More people than ever are working for themselves and building profitable businesses in the process. So on this show, I sit down with some of the most influential authors, entrepreneurs, and creators to break down the science of self-made success so that you can achieve it too. John, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me. We've already had a great off podcast conversation, so I think this one's going to be even better. I'm pumped. I didn't even give you a second to breathe when you hopped on the camera. I immediately was like, this book, this book. I always love what you write. I've always been a big fan of your writing. But I was joking with you and I said, rarely do I cackle in jury duty while reading a self-help book because it just hits home. And I felt at numerous points while reading All It Takes is a Goal that I was being called out. And I bet the business owners listening are also going to have that experience of like, I'm sorry, what? And yes. And how did you know? And that is exactly who I am and what I'm struggling with. But before we get into all of that, you did some research leading into this book Mm -hmm. around people and how they feel about whether or not they are living into their fullest potential. And I would love to hear from you. What did you find? What was the research? What did it indicate? Well, I didn't feel like I was. So whenever I write a book, like I think this is a good business principle too. So let's just jump right out of the gate with an actual tool people can use. I look for three things. A personal connection. I need to be personally connected to the item I'm creating, the service I'm creating, the book I'm writing, whatever. The second thing is, is there a need? Do people really need it? Am I hearing people at the neighborhood pool talk about it? Am I hearing clients talk about it? Am I seeing it online? In surveys, what am I finding? And the third thing is, is there a spot for me in the marketplace or has it already Mm -hmm. been overdone? So take the book Finish. I wrote this book called Finish. I was a chronic starter. I had a million half started things. Like every entrepreneur has like 50 terrible GoDaddy URLs. And like, they're like, someday I might need copyninja.tv. Like I don't, I might turn that into something. And it's like, and my wife and I's agreement is if I haven't touched it for a year, I have to release it back to the wild. Like I can't put it on auto renew because then I'm going to pay for a URL for nine years and be like, why do I own, okay, let's write a book together dot me. Like that feels <laughs> like I'm sure at some point that was brilliant. So I look for, okay, am I personally connected? And with finish, I was, I was a chronic starter and I didn't finish. Then a bunch of people for the need perspective came up to me and said, you wrote this book called Start. I liked it. I've never had a problem starting though. I can start a million things. How do I finish? And then I went to the marketplace, which for books is Amazon. I typed in finish. And the only thing that came up was dishwasher detergent. 
because we as Americans, Western culture over celebrates the beginning and we ignore the middle and the end. So then I had my Venn diagram of that's a, that's a product worth creating. That's a book worth writing. That's a service. And so I think from a business perspective, that's how I look at topics. So when I felt like I had wasted my potential in college, a moment I experienced when I toured my daughter at the college I went to, she was going to look at colleges and I felt this overwhelming sense of regret. I was like, okay, wow, I need to figure that out. I feel like I haven't tapped into my potential. What do I do with that? And then we did a survey where we asked 10,000 people if they they think they're living up. No, 3,000. 3,000 was this one, 10,000 was soundtracks. Are they living up their potential? And 96% said no. So then I had the need. And then I went to the marketplace and so many books about potential were kind of fuzzy and holistic. And I'm a very, what do I do with this on a Tuesday kind of guy? Like what? Okay, great, great, great. What do I do with this on a Tuesday? Like, I don't need the, like the universe loves you. I need the, like on a Tuesday, when you have this business challenge, here's how you solve it with this thing I just taught you. And so I felt like, oh, I've got the Venn diagram where it's worth me spending years to try to help people with this. Let's go. That's what like that's what seeing so many people say they're not living up to the potential taught me. And then I had the marketplace and a personal connection. I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. Oof, and it is fun. It really is. One thing that you talk about in the book that I want to just jump immediately into is you talk quite a bit about the three zones that high performers bounce between. And this yeah. community, independent business owners, you're a high performer, period. Like Low performers don't listen to this podcast. They don't even know this category exists. Like They don't read books like mine. They don't voluntarily go to events. Like Most people think high performers are other special people, but I love being able to go, no, 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 no. If you're listening to this right now, congratulations. Yes. You're a high performer. That's awesome. Welcome to the club, which means yeah. that you're going to hit certain obstacles that high performers hit because mm -hmm. as we know, it's difficult. It's difficult to run a business. And so you mentioned three of these zones that you tend to see them fall into. So you talk about the comfort zone, the potential zone, and the chaos zone. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So that was kind of a surprise to me through the research that I've heard a million people talk about the comfort zone. Like there's like, right. you got to escape it. Get outside your comfort zone. Like get outside the box. But I rarely had heard somebody talk about the chaos zone, which I think mm -hmm. is more destructive for high, high performing people, high achieving people, because the chaos zone is where you do too many actions, too many goals, too many businesses, too many plans, and you get no progress. Comfort zone is no actions, no goals, but that's not the problem most of the people listening to this podcast have trouble with. Like the people listening to this podcast, when I meet them and I'll say, well, what are your goals? They never go, I have no goals. They go, I have 27 goals. And those are just Tuesday's goals. Just wait right. till I tell you Wednesdays. And so that's the chaos zone. And so I related that, like the story I related that to was the tortoise and the hare, which right. we all know about. And the rabbit was all chaos zone. He was either asleep on the side of the road or he was sprinting desperately and he still lost. And so the three, those are the two kind of edge zones. If you think about a line on one side is the comfort zone on the far other side is the chaos zone. And in the middle is the potential zone. It's kind of that Goldilocks zone. And what happens unfortunately is people tend to swing from comfort all the way over to chaos and back. That's why we have the phrase yo-yo diet because people bounce. They go, I'm not going to look at any of my business finances. I'm going to be really lazy and get stuck. And then they go, I got to know where every fraction of a penny went. And if I find a paperclip that one of my employees bent just because they were fidgeting, I'm going to be furious. And you go, whoa, that is chaos. You're not going to be able to sustain that. Like you're really not. How do we stay in the middle of the potential zones? That's, that's what the three zones are all about. 
Oh, I, it's, first of all, I'll say I'd never heard of the chaos zone. And the minute I started to dig into that, I realized, wow, not only is that, yes, something I think a lot of business owners experience and struggle with, but it's never talked about. It's the thing that we almost don't want to talk about. It's We don't until we burn out. Like until you've Mm. destroyed yourself, nobody mentions it. And we even glamorize it. So we go like, every time I see a, a, a business owner or motivational Instagram guru say, I only sleep four hours, I think, right. well, number one, you're lying. Or number two, it's steroids. Or number three, it's Coke. Like it's one of the three. Like yeah. stop it, stop it. Nobody nobody performs well on four hours of sleep consistently. Like that's just not, like that's just bio, like biologically impossible. But we glamorize the chaos zone instead of talking about it. And so what this book became for me was I want long-term sustainable success. Like that's what I'm aiming for. So like one of the phrases in the book is I was late to my 30s. I want to be early to my 50s. And what I mean by that is I didn't have a plan. I stumbled through my 20s. I wasted the potential my 20s too. I kind of rolled into my 30s with one wheel flat, car was on fire. I had no plan. And now I'm, I'm 47 and I'm saying, I want my 60s to be dope. I want my 70s to be dope. So what are the things as a business owner I can put into place with so I have long-term sustainable change because I meet people that have plenty of success but they're on their sixth marriage. And I'm like that's not right. like I always say like if my if my, my business succeeds and my family fails, my business has failed. Like that's just the reality of it. So like I'm trying to go how do I stay? I don't want to, the book is like, I don't want to visit the potential zone. I want to get my mail there. Like I want to be there so often. I'm a local. I want to be a local to the potential zone, not just experience it occasionally because everybody's experienced it occasionally. So can I stay there? And that's really what led to going, okay, here's different types of goals that'll help with that. But yeah, those are, I don't think we talk about the chaos zone nearly enough. Yeah. And and speaking of living in the potential zone, one of the biggest hurdles that we face is ourselves. And this is where I felt particularly called out by your book. And I, yeah. I am willing to bet every business owner <laughs> can relate to this. You say, the hardest person I deal with every day is me. And then you go on to say, when people say, the only person standing in your way is you, I think, I know. That guy is impossible. Yeah, he's terrible. He knows all my secrets too. Like he knows all my weaknesses. Like, and then I say, uh, you're the most persuasive person you've ever yes. met. So yes. every bad decision I ever made, I first thought was a good decision. Like first I talked to myself and doing, that'll work out. You should do that. Like that's, yeah, let's do this. And then on the back end, I'm like, why did we do this? You know, this was, it's because I talked myself into it. And so I think that's a really universal thing, especially again, I love talking to business owners because I've owned a business for 10 years and it's this unique, wild, weird, up and down, your identity's involved in it. It's emotional. It's got, it's got, if you want to deal with every part of who you are, start a business, own a business Mm because it's going to get exposed. It's going to get, you're going to wrestle with it. So I think it's, I hope business owners do see themselves like you saw yourself in that, in that little section. Mm. And speaking of the emotion and the identity involved in running a business, you know, Another part where I felt called out, this is this podcast is going to be called uh, Where Independent Business Centers Are Called Out in All It Takes is a Goal. You talk about writers, but as I was reading it, I was thinking about business centers. And you write, writers say, if only one life is changed by my book, it was all worth it. Because we are afraid it won't sell and we're scared of looking selfish with our goal. Instead, we create fake desires that we think are socially acceptable and will shield us from future disappointment. We hedge our bets by lying about our expectations. <sighs> Sir, 
Yeah. Well, so my point there, and it works for business owners too, like, because business yes. owners say the same nonsense. They go, I say it. If it only helps one person in my community. Yeah. No, but it's, I always say if that, if you only want to help one person, write them an email. It'll take th- three minutes. Text somebody. Like, that's not your real goal. If you're going to do to go to the work and the trouble and the hustle and the heart and the, all the stuff, it should help a hundred thousand people. It should help a million people. And, and you should be excited about that. But again, as a business owner, you're like, it's kind of, it, I don't mean, it's hard to talk to people who don't own businesses about some of this stuff because right. it's not like, just take this. If you work at a huge company, it's not your money. It's not your money. So like, it's a budget item. It's a, it's a, something, you know, like it's your budget. It's not your money. So like when you're a business owner, it's your money. And what's interesting mm. is I'll see business owners underprice themselves when they're dealing with a big company because they're confused. They think the person they're dealing with cares about the money the same way they do because you, it's your money. So they often undersell what they can do because of that belief that everybody thinks that way. They don't. So business owners have these unique thoughts about that. But again, like I think we did something today. I have this thing called the Guaranteed Goals Community where I help people with goals. And we had a like a VIP kind of chat and we did an impromptu brag table. And a brag table is this thing I do where you have to share something you're proud of or excited about because we don't have spaces to do that. And so people started to share and share and share and share. And so like the internet's been so hard on that because like phrases like humble brag, So if you share something you're excited about, people shame you. If you share something you failed at or you're depressed about, a bunch of other sad people come out and go, yeah, it's the worst. Life is terrible. So there's no spot for a business owner to be like, dude, I just killed it. Like I just 20X my first salary. I'm now 20X that. Or this just happened. Mm. Or like we got it because you're afraid of like the must be nice police that they're going to go, oh, must, Mm. must be nice. You know, and so then- to save ourselves from that, we do the, if one life is changed, like it becomes this shield right. for us between what we really desire. And again, the main point is a fake does not fake desire will never get you out of a real comfort zone. You can't fuel yourself with fake desires. You can only fuel yourself with real desires and no one ever like gets out of the comfort zone just because no one ever wakes up and goes, today I'll have grit. Today I'll have discipline. Like my own business journey I had a full-time job. I had freelance clients. Um, I had two kids under the age of four. We lived in Atlanta, so I had a terrible commute. And I started to blog a little bit and it started to grow. And the joy of that is what changed my behavior. I didn't change my behavior first. So I didn't decide I'm going to stop watching so much TV and start getting up early and making better decisions so that I discover something I love. No, 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 no. I found something I loved and then I couldn't do I was desperate to do as much as I could to throw more time into that fire. And that's what happens with a business owner was where you find something like that. And it doesn't have to be like a passion in the sense of you become a writer. I, I've heard somebody say like, I don't like that follow your passion advice because it's usually a rich person who made their money doing iron ore smelting. And I'm like, that's a fair point. But I think you have to find something you're good at that you enjoy. So it doesn't have to be like an art. It doesn't have to be that. But once you do that's when you go, oh, I have a real desire. And then you'll leave a comfort zone. Like you never, I, the book talks about there's two reasons you leave a comfort zone, a involuntary crisis or a voluntary trick. And the right. voluntary trick is you find something outside of yourself that matters more than staying inside the comfort zone. And you go, okay, I'm willing to go out. What's outside is better than what's on, on the inside. And and then you start to do it. I love it. It reminds me when you say, you know, when you play more, you win more. And when you win more, you play more. And 
even just finding something you're passionate about, it creates this momentum engine. Oh, yeah. Right. And it it's that and that momentum in and of itself is just such a powerful thing. And it's the most difficult, like when you're fully stopped, stuck, and stagnant, to then get into the the prospect of actually moving. That's the challenge. But then once you start to play, you start yeah. to win. And once you start yeah. to win, you're like, I want to keep playing. This is yeah. a blast. Yeah. And uh I love that. I also love in the book you talk a lot about like games. Like you even refer to certain things as like, you know, like the game of this, the game of that. And I found that really refreshing. But just kind of rewinding back a little bit. So let's say somebody, you know, right now is living in the chaos zone. Because I I agree. I think comfort zones talked about a lot. They're living in the chaos zone. They've got too many ideas, too many dreams, too many businesses, too many Google domains, right? Like too many um, accounts waiting for them to be created. And hopefully all of us have a partner that's like, look, it's been a year. You got to get rid of it. But for those of us who don't, where do we start? So if we're in the chaos zone. Yeah, totally. I'll give you an exercise you can do. Um, I call it the time gap analysis. And I had to do it in my own life because I was the king of the chaos zone. Like I got a book signing, a big book deal. And my wife said, I don't think this is going to work because you're a jerk for the two years when you write a book and you're a jerk for the two years when you sell it. And I'd rather you be a happy plumber than a miserable writer. And what she was saying was that my fuel was chaos. My like Mm. stress, like here's how, here's how you know somebody on your team is stuck in the chaos zone. They fight process. The person who's addicted to chaos hates a system because the system removes chaos. And so it removes their fuel. And so like the person on your team who's addicted to drama, addicted to chaos, deadline addicted where I can't get inspired until the last second, that person will fight process and system at every step of the way because it's removing the thing they think they need. So I did this thing called a time gap analysis and it's so simple. All I did was I added up the commitments I had made. So I said, this was, I did this in March one year. I had three quarters of the year left. And so I said, what are the commitments I've made from a work perspective. How many hours do I want to work? So I said, how many hours do I want to work? Vacations, all the stuff. And they said, how many hours have I already committed? And then I added like a 10 to 20% unexpected opportunities because no week is 40 for 40 for me. So I said, okay, if I want to work 40 hours a week, eight of those hours are going to be unexpected because new money comes from unexpected spots. That's the only place new money comes from, unexpected spots. So you got to leave some margin for that. I added it all up and I was 520 hours short. I was overcommitted by 13 weeks. So the reason listeners feel busy is because they are busy. The reason they feel out of time is because they're out of time. Just most of us have never looked at our time with that level of clarity. So that Mm. forced me to go, I'm 520 hours short. Like there's ways to deal with, like you can cut your quality. I really don't want to do that. You can, you know, work longer hours, but I've, I've said my family's a commitment to me. And so I really had to look at the calendar. I, I like to say that time is the only honest metric. Like you can manipulate money, you can manipulate feelings, like you can like, but time is like the only honest metric. And then I say time is our most valuable resource, but it's also yes. our most vulnerable. It's also our most vulnerable. It only knows how to flow. It can't protect itself. It only knows how to do one thing, flow, 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 flow. We have to be the protectors. So when you're in the chaos zone, do that exercise. Go, I feel really chaotic right now. Let me check my time and see if that's true. And most people that do that are going to quickly realize they have a deficit. And then you've got really like one of three things you can do. You can delete some projects, some goals, some commitments. You can delegate them. Like that'll force you to get better at asking for help. Um, the best thing I ever heard about delegating was from Judd Wilhite. He said, when you delegate something to an employee, they'll do it 80% of the way you would have done it, but you save 100% of the time. 
And I love that reframe of like, I don't know. They've done it 80% of the way I would have done it because I'm unique and they're unique and they did it their own way. But I saved 100% of the time by not doing it. That's a good trade for me. Or three, you can delay. You can move projects mm -hmm. to different parts of your calendar. So that's a really practical, really tactical way to go. I'm in the chaos zone. How do I get back control over my life, my business? Let me look at my time, see what's really happening, and then make some real adjustments. And as a business owner, it becomes a lifestyle staying in that chaos zone. It oh, becomes, and it feels good at first. Like it does. Like I like the, the dopamine, adrenaline rush, the dopamine, the dopamine hits, the mm. dopamine, like people, people cheer you on. Like I know I'm in the chaos zone when I start really liking when people tell me I'm a machine. They go, oh, you're a mm. machine. You're getting so much done. You're a machine. I'm like, and I start really, and like, that's where, so like for me though, I started to make a list of. What things do I do because I feel called to do them as a business owner? And what things I do I do because I they make me feel important? Like I want to do less of them make me feel important. It makes me feel important when I'm at a dinner party and I say, I've got 12 people on the team. Do I need 12 people? Maybe not. But I like how it sounds at a dinner party. I like – because depending on your business, you often get judged as not having a real job. So like somebody goes like – you say what you do and they go, oh, that's cute. That's like a hobby. And like you might be making four times as much as that person, but because Correct. you don't have something that they understand, like you don't have a title, like you're an accountant or a contractor or whatever, they go, oh yeah, that's cute. And and you in that moment, you'll be feel insecure and you'll go, I have 15 employees or like whatever the thing is. But if you don't need 15 employees, maybe that's part of the chaos and you need to pull back and go, okay, why am I doing this? And so those things, I'm, I'm always kind of thinking about that in my own life because it's a work in progress. It's not like I've finished this and I'm a hundred and I'm like reflecting back on a life well lived. Like I'm in the trenches just like everybody else. Yeah. I love that about the way that you write. You write from the perspective of a lifelong student and I've always appreciated mm -hmm. the brutal honesty that comes with that of um, how you approach things. One thing just to think about in that chaos zone, it came to mind, you know, we talk a lot about business owners like that, that exercise that John just gave all of you, I would highly recommend you do and you do it alongside like, especially for those that are service-based businesses, that client mapping of your client flow. Because one of the things that happens when you get caught in that chaos zone is you can't actually work on your business. All you're doing is treading water. You're a duck, yeah. right? Like yeah. on the outside, all the clients look at you and you look calm as can be. But then under the surface, if you've ever seen a duck swim, right? Their feet are nonstop moving. So, you know, they may only move, you know, a little bit as they're kind of navigating the water, but their feet are running at a rapid and just wild pace. And so it is important. It's important to kind of take that moment to pause and say, you know, because I hear all the time, oh, I just don't have time. I don't have time. But what they mean is I don't have time to, you know, automate my workflow. I don't have time to build out systems that can run yeah. for me. I don't even have time to delegate. Like we hear that all like I don't have time to delegate. And so it's just easier for me to do it myself. And you go, well, you've never <sighs> tried, so you don't really know. Like mm. until you've tried it 10 times, you can't say it's easier for me to do it myself. It's so true. It is mm. absolutely so true. Okay. So we've talked about chaos zone, but for those folks that maybe still are stuck in the comfort zone, because yeah. I do think we talk about the oscillation. A lot of us oscillate and I have ADHD. And so as you're talking about chaos, I'm like, well, that's my dopamine addiction uh, yeah. that you're describing here. But then there's also the swing that goes the complete opposite direction of, you know, oh, no, 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 no. I'm just going to stay with what I know. I'm going to stay with um, even like how we run our businesses and we think, okay, this has been working. So I don't want to try anything new. 
I don't yeah. want to leave the margin that you're talking about for that new revenue opportunity because, you know, I just I just want to stick with what I know. And if I stick with what I know, I will be safe. And we both know that in a world that is constantly changing, when there are new tools coming out all the time, AI has kind of like you name it, it's shifting. Yeah. That doesn't really lead to a successful business. What advice then do you have for the folks in the comfort zone? Where should they begin? I think a review is worth its weight in gold. So we're recording mm. this at the at the middle of the year. Like what a great spot. But you have 12 custom design gifted days every year to do a pretty simple end of month review. And it's the last day of the month or the second to last day of the month. So for me, um, like I say self-awareness is a superpower, but you only get to use it if you're paying attention. And so if mm. I'll, you know, the the more I pay attention and will review something and go, here's what happened. Here's how this went. Here's the real numbers. Here's what the numbers say. Like I did that the other day and realized, wow, this one part of the business is taking a ton of the expenses and giving very little of the revenue. This other part is carrying so much of the weight and will never complain. But like, this isn't, this is like even a review where you take away, just do this exercise, take your greatest income stream away from your business and see if the rest of it could be its own business. Because often what happens is you go, wow, I have one superstar and four losers that would never make the team. But I don't see that because this one superstar is doing so well. But what if I got rid of the four losers and developed a second superstar? Like, what if I did that? And so I don't think you can really understand what's going on unless, and it doesn't have to be massive. Like that's where all the perfectionists right now are like, okay, I got to review everything I do. No, 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 no. Like pick one part of your business, pick one week, pick one month. Like don't make it massive, especially when you're doing it for the first or second time. So I think a review for me allows me to see where I'm really headed. And then I can, you know, I did that just the other day. I had my assistant do a pie, a pie chart of all the revenue from all our different streams. And then we had a meeting and people were suggesting ideas. And I would say, well, that 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 idea fits into the 0% category. It wasn't big enough for 1% on it. So I really like, let's not, let's not spend a lot of time, a lot of money on that. Cause I, I got this pie chart and here's what, you know, like, and you go, oh yeah. So I think getting to some numbers is so helpful because business is already emotional enough. But one of the soundtracks I say is that data kills denial, which prevents disaster. So data kills denial, which prevents disaster. So what happens with business owners is they stay in denial because they don't want to look mm -hmm. at the data, which is the equivalent of somebody who goes, I might be sick, but I don't want to go to the doctor and find out. So I'm not going to go to the doctor. And their cancer runs rampant because they wait a year, two years, whatever. Um, and, and, and But the problem is we don't like data. The, the story I always tell is the first time we were at a big restaurant in New York and we were all going to order crazy meals. And the week before they had passed a law that you had to have the calories next to the items and everybody's item changed. Everybody's <sighs> item changed from like a big crazy cheeseburger into a salad with like grilled chicken and like salad dressing on the side, like your lightest brownest water, like just barely above water. And it was because of the data. Now the meals had the calories, whether I knew them or not, that was just data. Right. And so I think the more you can fall in love, and I'm not a data guy by nature. I'm really not like, I'm a writer. I'm a messy artist. Like that's not my natural strength any more than like, I'm naturally a negative cynical person. I've just tried negativity and I've tried positivity and the ROI on positivity is so much better. So now I work at positivity. But most mornings I start from a place of negativity. I just have to work really hard to get to positivity because the rewards of positivity are amazing. The rewards of negativity are loneliness, um, sadness, um, smaller businesses, like failure, like no thanks. Like 
I, I don't want that. Yeah. I want the other stuff. Yeah. Speaking of loneliness, you talk about community a little bit in the book as well, which you yeah. know, I'm a community community builder. So that one always grabs my heart. Yeah. And I love what you have to say about the fact that you know we can no longer really have this accidental community. Like community has to be intentional in this day and age. Yeah. And I want to double click in there. Yeah. So the phrase I said was accidental community is over. The future is intentional. And then I just yes. went through a list of the 10 ways you used to receive bursts of accidental community without even mm -hmm. knowing it. So if so let's just do this. Let some of the people listening were at a company and they left the company to start their own company, which is yes. one of the loneliest things you can do as a human. And you don't think about it because you're like, "Woo, I'm going for it. I'm exciting. Eminem, mom, spaghetti, whatever. And then you realize I just left accidental community. Like you, when you work in an office, a woman, a man pops her head over a cubicle and goes, Hey, we're all going to go to that new sushi place. You want to go? And you're like, yeah, it's Tuesday. Let's do it. That never happens when you have a small business by yourself. Like in the joke I sometimes do is I know I'm lonely when I over talk the UPS guy, when like the UPS guy is bringing a box. I'm like, Hey, how's the family? How's Pam? And he's like, I just want to leave this box. Like, can we not? I'm like, I'm low. I need community. So yeah, I think we get wrapped up in it. And then the other thing is I think COVID fast forwarded it. I think it fast, like COVID threw fuel on a lot of people's anxieties that they had and they could have worked on over time, but it, it made them, it made bonfires out of a lot of things and, and they're raging out of control. And I think loneliness is one of them. The phrase I saw this professor Scott Galloway say was bed rotting where you work from your bed and you never leave your bed. And so, mm -hmm. and I'm a, I'm naturally an introvert. Like people think I'm an extrovert cause I speak on stage, but I always tell people it's the most introverted activity you can do. I have one mic. I'm the only one. I'm in 100% control. It's not a conversation. A panel, way harder than me. If somebody goes, we want you to be in a panel of 10 people, I'm like, oh, that's extroverted. That's a conversation. Like, that's hard. And so I'm naturally an introvert, but it just, I started to see the rewards of community. So like one of the things I'm doing, I have an automatic no when somebody asks me to do something. Like as an introvert, like if somebody goes, Hey, I see you're coming to town. Do you have any time? I automatically go, I don't have any time. No, I'm so busy. I'm so, no, I don't. And so a friend really convicted me about how do you connect with people? And then this soundtrack kind of hit me and like, I just started to think every possibility starts with new people. Every possibility mm. starts with new people. So like, if you want other possibilities at your business, it's always going to come via people. So I've now made an effort to like, it was funny this week I was in South Dakota and my assistant thought it was a mistake. She was like, says you got a coffee at three and then like dinner at five 30 with a different, per like, is that, did something happen? And I was like, no, I'm doing that on purpose. She was like, are you what? Like, cause we worked together for eight years and she knows I'm like, I leave the airport, go right into the hotel room and I usually write or do other things. But now I'm like, no. And now, like I said, yes to this mastermind thing that somebody was like, come for three days to Colorado. And usually I'm like, never, I never. And now I'm like, I'll go to that. And so like, I'm actively, but you talk about the games, relationships is our game to me. And so mm -hmm. I'm like, how do I make that a real goal? So I make it a real goal by having a schedule that allows people to fit in it. That's number one. If you're so full as a business owner, you can't like, or you're so demanding of your time that what happens as business owners is we start to go, I could meet you at like 417 at this one coffee shop that's next to my house on the third Tuesday, nine months from now. And you're like, oh, Wow, that's really like we want versus going, where where do you want to meet? Like where like what what time's good for you? And going like, okay. So I'm trying to put a better priority on um, community because I think it's essential. Mm, and prioritization there is like the key word as I hear that, because we're always going to be busy. The schedule is always going to be full. It won't be done. Even when never. 
Now, which you talk about in like a craft, like looking at it as a craft, you're never going to be done, right? You're never going to one day say, I've arrived. No, embracing that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So for business owners who, let's say, whether they're comfort zone, they're chaos zone, or, you know, they're finding their way towards the happy middle, goal setting is just intimidating in and of itself because I think sometimes we, Truly, like we don't know where to begin or we've done goal setting in the past and it never works out, right? Like it's January 1st, we all have goals. But by February 1st, how many people still remember the goals that they set even a couple of weeks ago? And so take this in whatever direction you want, but what are just some of the real quick bits of advice when it comes to actually setting the goals, following through on the goals that you've learned in running your business now for well over a decade that you want to make sure our listeners take away? Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, Sunday afternoon or Friday afternoon, I'm planning the next week. So that's when I'm Mm -hmm. doing goals. So I'm going through, I'm interviewing my calendar and I'm interviewing my notebook. So I'm going, what's coming up on the calendar? What have I put in my notebook? Like my notebook is kind of like my running to-do list. And so I'm kind of interviewing both of those to go, okay. And then what, like I make a massive list and then I find a spot for as many of those as I can. And I go, here's a spot, here's a spot, here's a spot. So then I have then I have a week where I know, okay, this is what success looks like. Like this is what mm-hmm. this is what I'm doing. This is and there's gonna be surprises in there. And I do that with my like workouts. I do it with, you know, I, I put real like if you don't plan a workout, it doesn't happen any more than you didn't plan a meeting. So I'm like, okay, on Tuesday I'm gonna be this. And and so I a really simple goal technique I use is what can I do today that makes tomorrow easier? I'm always trying to hook up future me. So I'll be like, what, what will I be glad I did this week so that next week is even easier? And so then, and I'll know, I'll go, wow, I got this project with this client on Wednesday, a week from now. And if I do a little bit every day, which is not my natural tendency, like I'm a like wait to the last second guy by nature, I'll, I'll be so glad when I open a week from now, when future John opens up that document and goes, oh, it's already half done. Like, this is amazing. So I do little things like that, um, along the way and, and then just, Figure out what works for you. I think the reason why goals sometimes don't work for people is that people give them rigid systems that are designed for the person who wrote it and it falls apart immediately. And so I, you know, I'm always saying, how do I modify it? How do I modify this? How do I, you know, because I'll I'll hear some other self-help book that's like, you got to do it exactly this way. You got to get up at 3 a.m. And I'm like, uh. And then if like if you're a business owner and you've got four kids and you're already balancing a million things, that's not helpful. That feels discouraging. So I'm like, how do I modify it? Somebody said that to me today. They were like, Hey, what's the point of reading all these books? If I don't retain all the information, I was like, who's aiming to retain all of it. Like I'm not like I I'm looking for one to three amazing ideas. Like if I get one life-changing idea from a book that was worth $20, easy $20 for a life-changing idea. And I'm reading it for the feel of it too. So one of my favorite books ever written is the war of art by Stephen Pressfield. And the one thing I took from that that I still use to this day, 15 days, 15 years later is fear only bothers you when you do things that matter to you. Like if you, you know, as you, so the arrival of fear is usually an indicator to keep going, not to stop. And so that rewired how I thought about fear. And so I, you know, but I wouldn't say I retained every part of that book. Now, the flip side of that is there's some books I read and there's some books I practice. So I Mm. read it and I go through it. I can listen to it. 1.5 speed on audible, whatever. 
But then there's some books that I'll go, oh, like Your Money or Your Life, I'm practicing that book right now. I'm reading it and I'm trying the activities and I'm trying the exercises. So that book will take me, I read it probably in two weeks. It'll take me six months to put it into practice. That's different. So you also don't have to read or do your goals the same. You get to kind of modify it to you. But yeah, I, I love, like, and then the last thing I'd say, I think that I try to present goals in a way that doesn't intimidate or overwhelm somebody right away. So I, I honestly believe everybody can make a million dollars. I really genuinely believe that. Like, I really do. But when I talked to a friend about that. I could tell he was like, ooh. Like, so then I was like, I think you can make 100000 And he had an easier time with that. And then I talked to some other friends and I was like, I think you can double your income. And that they understood. That made them excited because- if you make $50,000 a year and somebody goes, I think you can double your income, you know the, the number 50. You're not afraid of the number 50. And you go, I could see that. Where if you, if somebody tells me you can 50X your income, I'm like, nah, that, I don't, that, that feels like pro wrestling. I call a lot of motivational advice pro wrestling where it's just like, it's not true. It's just exciting. It's just not mm -hmm. like, I know, like it's the equivalent of pro wrestling. And I'm like, eh. like it's fun to see and it's shiny. But I don't think you're really living that. I don't think, like I heard somebody say like, you should start your day every day doing two hours on the goal that matters most. And I was like, who, who has that life? Like who, like of course, like there are some things that are technically right, but not practically right. And that's not Ooh. practically right. And so I'm trying to create goals for people that are busy, that have families, that don't want to lose themselves in it, like and go, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, technically, if you did two hours a day, 14, seven days a week, that's 14 extra hours. Like, great, of course. But practically, here's how to do it. Here's like, mm -hmm. here's what to do. Um, so that's how I think about goals is like, how can I help somebody do them in a practical way? Which isn't a sexy word, but I don't care about the initial sexiness of it. I care about the sustained success of it. So like, if I can get you sustain the success over a long period of time, your life changes versus you bought the thing, got excited, and then didn't do the thing and felt discouraged. Like I left you even more discouraged with the hype, you know? Whew. John, this has been incredible. There is one final question that I have yeah. for you. And I ask this question of all the guests on the Independent Business Podcast, and no one has answered it the same since we started asking it, which is what I love. There's no right or wrong Perfect. answer, but I would love to know from you. John, what do you believe differentiates the businesses that succeed from the ones that fail? Or what is the biggest differentiator? What is that thing that kind of stands in, in, the, uh, in the way? Yeah. So I, I do this speech about empathy and I say that this is the six word formula for empathy. Um, read less minds, ask more questions. Like read less minds, ask more questions. And people into grammar, I know it should be fewer, but less is a better rhythm and rhythm is a dancer. So we're, I went with less in the, in the idea. But I found over the years that it's really expensive and time consuming to invent a need. It's really fun to meet a need. And there's a big difference. So I find that the companies that meet a need versus trying to invent a need have a lot easier go. And so they meet the need. They super serve that need. There's real people that are excited. They fix that. They, they can't, they're, they're thrilled that it's there um, versus trying to force something on a, on a population. It's like, I don't even know what this is. I don't know. I don't think I need it. So if I can figure out, okay, with empathy, what are the questions? So like, for instance, I'll give you an example. So I have a newsletter that I was sending out every Friday and we did a big customer survey. And one of the top things were people are um, overwhelmed. Like I, I'm a content machine. Hey, people say I'm a machine. Call back to earlier. 
And I was sending out too much content because I'm a content guy. So it's like, I think every problem should be fixed with additional content. And they said like uncle in essence, like it's too much. So we changed it to twice a month and we changed the name. It's called the try this. And now it's better content. Like I spend more time on it. And that starts with a wicked short version for busy people. It takes 30 seconds to read. I'm from Massachusetts. So wicked is our word for very. And, and it's really good content. So like I'm able to say there's a short version. There's a long version. Here's something I think you should actually do. It's acuff.me slash newsletter if you're curious. And so for me, that was me responding to the audience. But I had to ask the question so that I could respond. And so like that's to me, that's the difference. And the story I tell from stage sometimes is when I worked at Bose, we lost multi-billions of dollars because we had a huge head start um, in consumer headphones. Like we are crushing. But then consumers started to change what they wanted and said, we want colors. We want different designs. We want different aesthetics. And we didn't listen because what we cared about was sound quality. And the sound quality is amazing, but customers wanted something else. We ignored it. Dr. Dre listened. Dr. Dre and Beats listened. And killed us with an inferior product like they and the joke i'll do like and it's my favorite joke to do from stage i'll say you know dre killed us blah 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 and i'll say we broke the first rule of electronics and then i'll hold a pause and i'll go we forgot about dre and everybody in the crowd is not expecting that line and it just just like it's such a fun line to kind of turn because there's this part of your brain called broca and broca's job is to file away ideas and mm -hmm. so as soon as you see something it goes this reminds me of that restaurant or this and you have to surprise Broca if you want your idea to stick. So when I do a Dr. Dre joke in the middle of a serious story, it surprises Broca and it keeps the audience engaged. And so things like that, I think, are fun. Never did I think we'd end an episode by talking about Broca's area on the podcast. Yeah, but yeah, of course, yeah. as a neuroscience nerd, you just made yeah. my day. I You know all about love... it. I could see you go, yeah, of course, of course. Oh, yeah, of course, of course, of course. Broca's area. Okay. Yeah. Folks are going to want to know where they can learn more about you, get connected, follow along. Where where shall we send them? Yeah, johnacuff.com is my website, J-O-N-A-C-U-F-F.com. Um, you can read the first 18 pages of the book at atgbook.com, atgbook.com. I have a podcast called All It Takes a Goal, where I interview people about the goals they're working on. Um, it's super fun to do podcasts. You know, you know that better than anybody. Yeah, and then Instagram, I'm John Acuff, and then I'm all over the place. Yeah, if you look up John Acuff, you can usually figure figure out where I am. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a blast. That ends our episode of the Independent Business Podcast. Everything that we've discussed today can be found at podcast.honeybook.com. Head to our website for access to show notes, relevant links, and all of the resources that you need to level up. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss our future content. Drop us a review and leave our guests some love on social. Thanks again for listening.